volunteer power. So if you'd like to help keep it all going, please explore becoming a programmer by contacting our volunteer coordinator, Chris, at 469-6600 or chris at weru.org. We'd love to hear you on the air. Support for WERU provided by the Village Soup Journal and the Bar Harbor Times on newsstands every week serving Waldo and Hancock counties or online at waldo.villagesoup.com and barharbortimes.com. It's 10 o'clock and you are tuned to WERU-FM, 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor and streaming online at weru.org. Democracy Forum with your host Ann Luther is up next. Good morning. Welcome to the Democracy Forum. This is the third program in our new series to be broadcast over the next year at this time on the second Monday of each month. We'll feature topics in participatory democracy, encouraging citizens to take an active role in government and politics. This program is a project of the League of Women Voters Down East, produced in cooperation with WERU-FM. Our conversation today is about dysfunction in Congress. What do we need to make it work? We'll be discussing what are the underlying structural procedural problems that keep, keep Congress from governing effectively and what could be done to fix it. Later in the program, we'll be welcoming your calls with questions or comments. This is Ann Luther from the League of Women Voters. I'll be your host for the Democracy Forum, and let me introduce our very special guest today. Joining us by telephone from his office in Bangor is Maine's 2nd District Congressman, the Honorable Mike Mishu. Representative Mishu is serving his fifth term in the U.S. House of Representatives. He served in the Maine State House of Representatives from 1981 to 1994, and he served in the Maine State Senate from 1995 to 2002 and as president of the Senate during his last term. Welcome, Representative Mishu. Well, it's great to be here. Good Thank morning. you very much. Thank you. Also joining us here in the studio today is Arne Pearson. Arne is vice president for programs at Common Cause. He's an attorney with extensive experience in the fields of public finance and campaign finance reform, election reform, tax reform, and ethics. Before moving to Common Cause, Arne was the first executive director of the Maine Citizen Leadership Fund, a nonprofit organization that worked on a, a variety of good government issues right here in Maine. Welcome, Arne. Thanks, Anne. Glad to have you with us. Congressional approval ratings are at a record low. Um, we, no doubt we are living through a period of extreme partisanship, some would say obstructionism, but surely congressional leadership in both parties knows that their failure to govern effectively is making them unpopular with voters. The logjam in Congress was highlighted just a couple of weeks ago when Senator Snow announced that she would not run for re-election, citing the difficulty of governing from the Senate as one of the reasons she was going to withdraw. It can't be as simple as a change in personnel or party. Representative Mishu, let me put it to you first. Can you okay. give us some examples of what's not working and what you think are the three most important things to change? Well, Senator Snow, uh, actually I saw her at the airport and, uh, last Thursday, and she's absolutely right when you look at the dysfunctional uh, Senate. Uh, and the House, uh, you know, the House uh, has its problems as well. And they're different. Uh, the House is run in a very partisan, top-down way through leadership of the office, whichever party is in control. 
it tend to be uh, quite partisan. On the Senate side, though, it's uh, actually it's more in- inclusive uh, type of process, but even that has uh, grinded to a halt as members of both parties tries to squeeze every partisan advantage they can uh, out of every moment uh, over on the Senate uh, side because of the rules over there. And I think uh, the overall problem is a lack of communication and uh, between uh, uh, not only Republicans and Democrats, but also with Democrats and Democrats. Uh, you know, look at the coordination between, uh, uh, you know, the House and the Senate or, or the administration. There is definitely a lack of uh, a coordination. Uh, you know, what can be done? Uh, I don't think, uh, if you look at the voters in 2010, one of the things that they said was, you know, it's a dysfunctional Congress, so vote, vote them out and vote a bunch of new people in. Well, they did that. If you look on, particularly on the Republican side, uh, there's what, I believe, 87 new members, quite a few uh, Tea Party members, and things gotten worse, not better. Uh, so it's not necessarily you got to put new people there. It's that you got to uh, change the way uh, both the House and the Senate operate. Uh, uh, the House... Uh, whether we like or, or, or dislike it, at least we're able to get things done. Uh, might not like the outcome, but at least things are able to move forward. The Senate, uh, because of the rules uh, uh, and the filibuster uh, rule, it's more problematic. So what has to be done? Uh, I'm no expert on the filibuster, but I think we definitely have to look at uh, ways of changing it so that uh, they're not threatened by a filibuster every time a controversial bill comes up. I have no problem with minority having their say, uh, but it's gone too far. And uh, part of the problem, I'll give you a good example, is, for instance, last year the House, we passed legislation to finally address the issue of low reimbursement for state veterans nursing homes. Part of that legislation also addressed the fact that within the VA system, uh, because of the GAO report that we've asked them to look at, there's been almost 300 rapes and assaults within the VA system. This legislation addresses that as all one, one legislation. It went over in the Senate uh, in October. It still lingers there because a uh, well, Senator Burr from North Carolina wants to address his issue with uh, 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 pollution at uh, Camp Lejeune, uh, which will cost uh, anywhere from 250 to $300 million dollars legitimate concern. I agree with that. But the fact that he's holding this bill up until that bill gets addressed is wrong. Uh, and, and I think uh, we should be able to look at it on its own merits. I'm very supportive of what he wants to do. Uh, but uh, Well, let's talk about that a little bit. Arne, can you explain to us a little bit how the hold and the filibuster work in the Senate? And there's been a lot of talk about changing or reforming the filibuster rule. What are the pros and cons of doing something about that? Sure. <laughs> the, uh, the filibuster has, has gotten completely out of control over the past few years. It's, it's actually a uh, technique, a rule that did not come up uh, until 1917. A lot of people think that it was part of the original Constitution, part of the original practice, but it, but it wasn't. And it was rarely year, used over the past decades, uh, most often to block civil rights legislation. But over the past years, it's been used increasingly as a, as a tool for just blocking the majority from being able to accomplish anything. So what you see is, is a huge spike since uh, 2006. 
of Republicans uh, using the filibuster to stop many things, including hundreds of bills that passed on bipartisan votes in the House. And so we're really at, at, at a point now where it's become a crisis and, and it's being used to prevent anything from going through in, in Congress. The hold is, is essentially a, a filibuster, a threat to filibuster. You know, it's basically, I mean, they don't even verbalize it that way anymore, but it's essentially saying, um, you know, we're going to make you get 60 votes on this in order to bring it up. So I'm, I'm holding it up based on that. Uh, the filibuster, you know, people think of Mr. Smith goes to Washington, but rarely do senators take the floor to filibuster anymore. They, they just use the threat to prevent a vote. Mm-hmm. And what reforms are talked about? Well, there have been uh, some attempts at rule changes. Senator Harkin had a proposal to um, have a system where you start with the 60 votes, but after a few days of debate, you roll it back to 57, then to 54, and eventually to 51, so that there is ultimately a way to pass something based on majority vote. That uh, has not gone through. We're we're skeptical that the Senate's going to act to to fix this problem. Common Cause is is filing a constitutional challenge to the filibuster next month in federal court, uh, and and we'll be making the case that the current the current system is uh, preventing Americans from having majority rule in Congress. Mm-hmm. I mean, didn't it used to be that if you were going to filibuster, you actually had to stand up there and hold the floor for the time of the filibuster? I mean, it doesn't work that way anymore either, does it? Uh, not not so much. It, it really the burden is on on often on the opposition mm-hmm. to have have people present. And there are some there are some proposals out there for for changing that. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, again, whether whether the Senate will embrace them is another thing. Well, and and it seems like um, sometimes the minority party is the one that doesn't want to give it up. But even the majority party doesn't want to give it up because they can foresee a time when they might be the minority. So neither side wants to really disarm on the filibuster. I think it's gotten so bad that, that you're seeing a, a lot of uh, Democrats who have been reluctant in the past to give it up mm-hmm. say that, that something has to be done. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we had a meeting recently with Representative, Representative Larson, who's the uh, head of the Democratic caucus in the House, and, and you know he said the Senate is making the House an irrelevant institution. Right? They're right. just blocking so many things. Yep. That's to your point, Representative Mishu, that the House passes good bills and it can't get through the Senate. And, you know, Representative Mishu, you're sometimes called a blue dog Democrat, which I guess is one way of saying kind of a moderate. And Senator Snow herself was characterized as a moderate. Maine has a history of sending moderates to, to Congress. But it seems like it's getting increasingly difficult or uncomfortable for moderates to be there and to cross over and work with members of the other party. It used to be that those who could work in the middle and bring people together were respected by their peers. Now it seems they're viewed sometimes as turncoats. What role, Representative Mishu, do you think that extreme partisanship plays? Is it just a cyclical thing that waxes and wanes and we're going to get back um, to a, a middle ground at some point, or is there s- something fundamentally wrong that's going to lead to more and more extremes in Congress over time? What's your view? Uh, hopefully we'll be able to get back to it, uh, uh, because I think uh, when you look at the particular uh, members' districts, uh, uh, you know they have to 
know, do what their constituents want or they're voted out of office. And it was brought to my attention, actually, by uh, Congressman John Tanner uh, from Tennessee. Well, he's a former congressman. Uh, he's been there for quite some time, and he decided not to run for re-election. And, and we were talking about, you know, why is it uh, that it's so partisan? And quite frankly, a lot of it is because of, uh, on the House side, uh, the congressional districts and the way they're drawn. You either have a safe Democratic district or a safe Republican district. So the only way you're going to get voted out of office is probably uh, through, uh, you know, the primary. And, uh, and so, therefore, you tend to, what's happening is people tend to be more more partisan uh, versus a district like mine, for instance. Uh, mine's always been uh, pretty much a swing district mm-hmm. uh, where, you know, Republicans, Olympia Snow had it, John Baldacci, uh you know, it's gone back and forth because it's not uh, an extreme district. And when you look at tri- uh, the, the moderates, uh, I, I think what also happens, you get better legislation. Uh, one of the interesting things, and the analogy I use is back when I was in the Maine legislature, uh, year after year we kept uh, voting on a bill dealing with the Forest Practices Act. Uh, when I became chair of the uh, Energy and Natural Resources Committee, because the forest products industry wanted me to support their bill, uh, sponsor it. Maine Audubon Society wanted me to uh, sponsor their bill, which were totally different bills. I sponsored both bills, then I brought both groups in, and I said, we're going to pass something. And I said, uh, I want to both sides to sit down and work out the difference, because I'm tired of every year in and year out dealing with forest practices legislation, because it uh, is not doing well for the industry or, or individual. It helps out the lobbyists, but that's about it. And we were able to actually craft legislation, uh, and this is well over, oh my God, um, 25 years or so. And uh, to my knowledge, there's been very little changes done to the legislation because we took the time to work together versus uh, either killing the bill or passing the bill that will uh, you know, get uh, you know, the next legislature to overturn uh, and we're facing the same thing when you look at, uh, you know, legislation passed in Congress. You know, if we pass a bill, if the Democrats control everything, then the, the following year right now we're trying to defend off uh, uh, the health care bill, and it doesn't bode well for the long-term uh, uh, stability of, of a law that might be on the books and it cause a lot of anxiety out there for those agencies who have to implement the particular law. Mm-hmm. Uh, Arne, what, what do you say about that extreme partisanship Congressman mentioned redistricting. That might be something you've worked on as well. Yeah, it, it is a huge problem. I mean, we have a, a system in which politicians are choosing voters instead of voters choosing politicians. And uh, you see, just in this past, just in this past uh, election, Carl Rove and Crossroads put in hundreds of millions of dollars to influence state elections around the country, really for for the purpose of taking control of the, the uh, districting process. <clears throat> so the day after the election, Carl Rove spoke to a convention of gas drillers and said to them that they didn't need to worry about regulation for the long term because he who holds the pen draws the lines and he who, who uh, draws the lines controls the outcome of elections. And it's basically telling them that they would take care of it through redistricting, which I find very disturbing. 
there have been some, I think there's been a lot of progress this time around of citizens rising up and demanding a, a neutral system for drawing lines. We have California now has an independent commission uh, passed by voter initiative that worked very well this year. Florida passed uh, a voter initiative, which just won a big round in the courts. And in New York, our reform maps have been adopted by the courts in large part. So, there, you know, there are some big fights going on. How does it work in Maine? I mean, do we have an issue here that voters should be concerned about? I mean, I know we had a controversy over the initial drawing of maps, but it seemed like it worked out all right in the long run when we redistricted this year. Well, I think Maine is better than a lot of states, uh, and there is there is more balance, but it is still far from perfect, and, and there's a lot of game gaming that goes on. Yeah. Yeah. If you recall, when they uh, were starting on the redistricting on the congressional district, mm -hmm. they were looking at moving uh, around over 360,000 people from the first and second district. Uh, was one of the plans. Uh, when in actuality, all you would have to do is move Vassalboro uh, from the first district into the second district, and that would have uh, taken care of the problem. Uh, that wasn't the final uh, proposal. Uh, uh, but but it's uh, you know there's definitely a lot of games that can be played uh, okay. with redistricting. And I know the legislative districts are coming up uh, in the next uh, legislature uh, as well. Yeah. But it gets right back to and uh, it's uh, to it doesn't make any difference. It's the individual you elect uh, that will make a difference. And I just want to use another uh, analogy. When the Democrats took uh, uh, back control of the House, uh, I was lucky to become chair of the subcommittee on, on veterans affairs i worked very closely with uh, my republican counterpart uh, henry brown who actually came to maine uh, to visit togas and uh, you know I, at the beginning of the session i told him is there any bills that uh, you or your caucus wants uh, us to hear on the subcommittee let us know gladly do it and we did we scheduled a lot of republican bills as well as democratic bills uh, but within two months, uh, I had a uh, conversation with the Democratic chair of the full committee. He wanted to know what I was doing hearing Republican bills. And I said, well, my job is to do whatever I can to help out veterans. Uh, if a Republican has a good idea, you know, I want to be able to help them out. Uh, and, uh, you know, I continued to operate that way. He just shook his head and uh, uh, moved on. Uh, so it's uh, that partisanship played by both sides that really... Uh, hurts the system. But having said that, I mean, there are issues where we can uh, work together on. A good example is actually earlier this year, I joined with the Republican uh, Adrian Smith, who was a member of the House Tea Party Caucus, uh, to work together on the Essential Air Service Program. He was very concerned about that, so was I because of Maine, and we were able to actually uh, get something done. Mm -hmm. uh, so there are cases uh, where we can do that. Oh, yes. Steve Watteret, who's a Republican uh, we worked together on um, on a bill to reverse the court decision that would prevent the United States from cracking down on illegal trade actions of countries like China. We just passed that bill, and it was sent uh, to the president. So there are cases uh, we're able to uh, work, uh, you know, cr across the aisle and across uh, House and the Senate. Yeah. Uh, the truck weight bill is, is a good example where. Uh, we worked very closely with Senator Collins and Senator Snow on the Senate side, and we were able to uh, fix Maine's uh, truckway problem for at least the next 20 years. Uh, so the rider is where it can make a difference. Let me remind our listeners that you're tuned to the Democracy Forum on WERUFM. 
This is Ann Luther of the League of Women Voters. Our topic today is dysfunction in Congress. What, what do we need to make it work? Our guests this morning are Maine's second district congressman, the Honorable Mike Mishu, and Arn Pearson, vice president of programs at Common Cause. Some people suggest that between fundraising and the shortened work week in Congress <coughs> that our representatives don't really have time to actually do the business of the Congress. They come in on Tuesday, depart midday on Thursday, spend the rest of the re week fundraising, and that that shortened work week doesn't give members time to do committee work, read the text of bills and reports, discuss or deliberate with their peers, form friendships with people on the other side. What about that? I mean, is what, what percentage of time is taken up by fundraising versus actually doing the business of Congress? Um, should there be a reinstitution of the five-day work week for Congress? What would you say about that, Representative Mishu? Uh, I have no problem with a five-day work week as long as we can get some work done versus naming uh, uh, post offices. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, I mean, that's, you know, uh, here again, I mean, on the House side, it's, it's driven from the top down as far as what uh, is to be brought forward on the House. It's the majority party who decides that. Uh, so it depends on on uh, whether or not uh, we're able to get them to move in in that manner. As far as uh, you know, five day work week uh, for myself. I only can speak for myself, not other members of Congress. As uh, soon as we're done voting, I do um, you know come back to Maine uh, to get around the district, uh, and, uh, and I'm still working. Uh, one of the interesting things uh, uh, when you look at Maine, I have the largest congressional district uh, east of the Mississippi. And I think it's very important for me as a member of Congress to get out there and talk to uh, my constituents to find out what their problems are and are there ways that we can help them uh, deal with policy at the federal level, not only in legislatively, but also through rulemaking process or trying to get the agencies to uh, look at things uh, uh, differently. What are you uh, so hearing about this, Arn, in terms of whether... The representatives and senators have enough time to actually do the people's work versus the competitive pressures of fundraising. Yeah, I, I don't think it's a question of of the members not working hard. It's that they're forced to work hard for their campaigns instead of instead of for the people. So I think one of the biggest shifts has been with the you know we essentially have permanent fundraising, year-round fundraising. You have people who are elected to Congress, reformers who go in and want to change things, and one of the first things they're, they're told is how much money they have to raise. And if you want a seat on a committee, you have to, there's a quota system for how much you have to raise. And, and so we have this problem where members are, uh, when they're not in session, uh, are often at fundraisers or going back home to fundraise. And, it, you know, it's this constant, constant... Uh, treadmill. And I think it does a lot of what you mentioned in the beginning, which is means members don't have time to socialize anymore. Some of the old timers complained about this a lot. Fritz Hollings and, and uh, Senator Byrd uh, said, you know, instead of, instead of going to, to events together or playing golf or doing whatever members were uh, off raising money and often raising money to defeat their colleagues. Mm -hmm. um, and so the collegiality gets undermined there. And, and it really, it's, it's, it doesn't make sense because we, uh, we go to all this trouble to send good people to Congress and there's a lot of work to be done and instead they have to spend a huge time just raising money. Yeah. Who drafts legislation anyway? Are, I mean, are representatives directly involved in writing the bills 
do you, do you have time to read the text of bills before you vote on them? How do you understand what you're voting on, especially when bills are big and complex and you're not in session that much? Uh, yeah, but, well, members, well, it depends here again on the individual uh, members. Uh, as I mentioned, when I come back to the district, I hear from my constituents, uh, the state veterans nursing home uh, reimbursement rate issue. Uh, I work closely with the uh, state veterans nursing home here in Maine and uh, around the country. We're able to craft legislation uh, to address that problem, uh, and was able to, you know, get it through the committee process and heard. As far as reading bills, uh, that was uh, uh, some, here again depends on the members. Uh, I, people act surprised when I told them I read, uh, you know, the health care bill. Uh, you know, several times, uh, but it's more important not only to read the bill, is to understand what effect that it has on your constituency, particularly the health care bill was a, a, a huge bill. It uh, had different effects uh, in different states. I know some of the liberal groups in Maine were very critical of me because they wanted me to jump on board uh, right from the beginning because, you know, it's the President's bill and, uh, and Speaker Pelosi, and quite frankly, they never read the bill. And when I was asking them questions about the particular bill, they couldn't answer it because they would get the talking points, whether it's from the Democratic side or if they were opposed to the bill, from the Republican side. And for me, it was very important that uh, uh, as the bill moved forward that we made changes that would be help helpful to me. And we were able to actually get some of the changes because uh, Leader Pelosi was not able to get the vote until... Uh, you know, they were able to address some of the reimbursement rate issues some of us in rural states uh, had with, with the original bill. So, uh, but here again, it depends on uh, the members, whether or not they are in, more actively involved in, in the bill versus uh, uh, reading it. Uh, I was very fortunate in, in the fact that when I first got elected to Congress, that I was in a leadership role on the Veterans Affairs Committee. I was the ranking member on the benefit subcommittee and then when I was getting ready to for my first markup of a piece of legislation I called my personal staff in and said look here's some of the stuff I'd like to uh, have in the bill and uh, as we move forward and his comment was well they already got the bill done I said, what do you mean they got the bill done I'm the ranking member and they haven't talked to me about it yet and uh, that was the last time that happened but there are uh, members that will let the committee staff do the work. And another prime example and, uh, is the fact that the Northern Border Regional Commission Bill, it's an economic development bill, we established three commissions. Uh, one of them was in, in the southern part of the United States. Once the bill got passed, that was the authorization. Then we needed funding for the bill. So I went to the chairman of the subcommittee on appropriation because one of the commission was in his congressional district. I explained what the bill was what effect it would have on the state of Maine, and that he had one in his district as well, and whether or not he would help us get some funding uh, to get it off the ground. And he said, you get back to me. Well, a week went by, nothing happened, so I approached him again. I asked him, are we going to be able to get some funding? His response was, my staff won't let me. I said, what do you mean your staff won't let you? You're the member of the, you're the chair of the committee. And that's the problem is I think too much of this uh, is, uh, is relegated to the staff without members really uh, focusing on what's important uh, to their state and to the country. 
Well, how much do you think money interests are calling in the shots, you know, where we have lobbying firms and big corporations who fund campaigns and have, you know, full-time staff lobbying on all these issues, working with committees? I mean, how much influence do those interests have in drafting legislation and, um, uh, you know, pushing through their, their own agenda? And this ties back to the fundraising piece again. What's your experience on that, Representative Mishu? Yeah, well, the committees I'm on, I, I think uh, Transportation and, and Veterans uh, Committee, uh, they're not big money committees, uh, so to speak. Uh, uh, but when you look at the Ways and Means Committee that deals with, with tax policy, what have you, I'm sure that, uh, that, that you know, a lot of outside groups, they do actually draft uh, the legislation for the, for the committee. And uh, uh, here again, it depends on who's in control and the timing of when we actually have a chance. We have to vote on the bill and uh, really have a chance to uh, see what effect uh, that it does have. So. Let me give Aaron a chance to jump in on that question, too. You know, money and interest in drafting legislation. Sure. It, it's, a big, it's a big problem. It's, a, it's an appearance problem across the board. But it, and then there are a lot of examples of specific problems. And, and I agree with, with Mike it, it, on the appropriations issues, probably where you see the, the most of it. There was a whole, uh, yeah, I call it a scam. I mean, there, were, there was a whole scam developed over the past couple of decades of essentially negotiating earmarks in exchange for campaign contributions, and, and we did a study once documenting that in the uh, defense subcommittee in the, in the House. Um, and the, the lobbyist who, who uh, designed that ended up having you know, a book written about him, and in a sense, you know, it's kind of said that he was not happy about what he had done and is supporting public financing. You have Jack Abramoff coming back and pointing out a number of the flaws in the system. Ultimately, I think what we need to restore some integrity and confidence is, is to have a ban on lobbyist contributions and fundraising so that you, ha you don't have the people who are spending millions, uh, you know, giving, uh, who are spending millions lobbying, also giving to, to members' campaigns. Mm -hmm. How much time do members spend fundraising? <laughs> I mean, you know, given that the pressures of the job and they're in session, but... I mean, how much time do people actually spend getting ready for their next next election, do you think? Well, we've seen a couple different studies, and, and some of them say as much of as 25 or 30 percent of, of time. And I think for, you know, members who are in, especially senators who are in extremely competitive races, it could be even more. Mm -hmm. But uh, I'd be interested in what Representative Misho's take on that is. What do you say, yeah. sir? Uh, the actually quite a bit of time, and it depends on the individual uh, members and in uh, their district uh, as far as how much time they got to put into uh, to fundraising. Uh, it's a lot of time uh, that, that's put into it. Uh, and the longer you're there, there's, well, here again, it depends on the members. Uh, uh, you probably don't have to spend as much time as, as you did before because it, it comes easier than, than when you first run uh, for office. I remember when I first got elected, I took one day off after the election. Then the very next day, I was back on the phone raising money, trying to uh, cover uh, you know, my debt so in, in my first, first election. So there is a lot of time uh, raising um, money for, for re-election. 
But if you don't raise the money, you're not going to get reelected. And I'd, I'd just rather, much rather have more time spent on, on uh, you know, crafting legislation, changing uh, policy, in uh, both sides. I mean, other, I mean, Aaron's right. When you look at there is just too much money in politics, and both sides, uh, you know, on the Republican and Democratic side, uh, they're able to you know just spend uh, you know millions and billions of dollars uh, raising money, and it's not good. He mentioned uh, Kyle Rowe. Well, you know, in February of last year, there was a robocall done in the second congressional district because of a vote I took. I believe it was on the continuing resolution, uh, criticized me for that vote. Uh, it's uh, the crossroads, and I've had several different robocalls last year. So it's an ongoing uh, problem. And to get straight back, I mentioned earlier about spending more time together as members of Congress that would definitely help. And it would, it would definitely help tremendously. And I'll, I'll hate to keep using my experience in the Maine legislature, but... Uh, when the Maine had 17 Democrats, 17 Republicans, and one independent in the state Senate, one of the things that we did, uh, we sat off the session like we always did, Republicans of caucus, Democrats of caucus, and we go into session, go over the calendar. Problem being, it would take too long because, you know, sometimes caucuses talk about other things like fishing and what have you. Uh, so I suggested to Rick Bennett that we might want to just have a chairs meeting because half the chairs were Republicans, half the chairs were we're Democrats and uh, go through the calendar that way. We did that. Uh, it did speed up the process like we thought it would. But the second thing that it did, which was an unintended uh, consequence of it, is actually uh, by having each member of the, of the state Senate in the same room, Republicans and Democrats, every day going over the calendar in the informal way, uh, it actually built up trust, open line of communication, and we got to know one another much better. And so when we did go to the floor to debate an issue, uh, even if it was uh, strictly down party lines, it wasn't bitter. It was, you know, here are the facts, mm -hmm. here's why we should vote for it. And we voted and that was it. There wasn't a personal attack. And it, like I said, it built up that trust and open line of right. communication among both. And that's what's missing today, in, in the both US in Washington and, and yeah. in, uh, in Augusta. At this point, I think I'd like to invite listeners to join our conversation. You're tuned to the Democracy Forum on WERU. This is Ann Luther of the League of Women Voters. Our guests this morning are Maine's second district congressman, the Honorable Mike Bishu, and Arne Pearson, vice president of programs at Common Cause. Our topic today is dysfunction in Congress. What do we need to make it work? What do you think? If you have a question for one of our guests, you can join our conversation by calling toll-free 866-625-9378 or if you're in the Orland area, 469-0500. We have a call. Welcome to the program this morning. Give us your name. Let us know where you live and go ahead with your question or comment. Good morning. This is Yo in Tremont. Democrat versus Republican is a false dichotomy. The real dichotomy is politicians, corporations, and cops against everyone else. Perhaps Mr. Michaud can explain to listeners why he voted to make protest a felony. Thank you. Representative Michaud, I think that was for you. Thank you for your yeah. question, Hugh. Go ahead, Representative uh, Michaud. Well, I'm not sure the specific that he's talking about. If you can call my office uh, directly afterward with the bill number, I uh, will be able to get back to them. One of the problems, 
that uh, we're, we're facing when we do vote on a particular legislation. As I mentioned, uh, the uh, sometimes we have to vote at the very last minute. We don't have time to look at the bills. But the other thing that happens, and it's done with both Republican leadership and Democratic leadership, is they might have a bill in that deals with a certain issue, and then they'll put something else in there that will force us to take a vote on something that we might not like, but you know, ultimately have to uh, support uh, because of the other portion of the bill, for instance, uh, unemployment uh, extension. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes there might be uh, some other pieces of legislation that will be added into it that the Republicans know that they can't uh, get passed, but the Democrats will support because you know we have to move forward with the uh, unemployment uh, extension. Yeah. Uh, and and that, that's just an example where you can have two separate uh, issues uh, that we're forced to vote on only because uh, they want to get us on record yep. one way or another. It looks like we have another caller. Um, go ahead with your uh, question. Give us your name. Tell us where you live. You're on the air. Hello. Uh, this is Ed from Bar Harbor. Morning, Ed. Uh, what, uh, this is regarding the uh, problem of members of Congress needing to spend a lot of time fundraising. Now, Maine has uh, had a very successful clean election system, although the courts have made some problems for it, which we're working on. Is there any hope for getting such a system uh, for members of Congress? Is there any legislation in Congress on this? Thanks for your question, Ed. I'll put that to Aaron. I think he's on top of that. There is, actually. Uh, we have the Fair Elections Now Act, which... Uh, both Representatives Michaud and Pingree have have sponsored, um, and which uh, we actually had the votes to pass in the House before the 2010 elections. Uh, it's it's a it's a great bill. It's it's based on Maine's system, but it takes it in a, in a little f- further and addresses some of the recent court issues. So basically, it provides some initial public funding for for members who opt in in exchange for only taking contributions of $100 or less from individuals only no PAC or union or corporate money <clears throat> and um, and then they get a multiple match on their small donor fundraising in state which means that somebody a small donor in Maine is worth four or five times as much as a lobbyist in Washington and uh, it, it's a it's a great system and I think uh, eventually uh, Congress will come around to it, and not not out of ideology, right? Not out of any great principle, but honestly, because the current system is making their lives miserable. I can't tell you how many meetings I went to in the House over the last couple years uh, and the Senate, uh, where members have have said, you know, I've never been big on on this type of approach, but it's gotten so bad, and our lives are are miserable, you know, and we need to do something. I mean, you have members telling me stories about, you know. I want to go to my kid's soccer game, but I'm locked in a room making phone calls for money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it's, uh, you know, it's, it's something that we desperately need as, as citizens, but even for the members themselves, I think it's, it's a place we're going to end up just because of what it means for them personally. Yeah. And, I mean, what, hey, Representative Misha, you've been in Congress for a few years now. <coughs> Have you seen the pressures of fundraising grow, and particularly... Um, since Citizens United um, a couple of years ago, have you seen those pressures increasing, or what changes have you observed? Yep, absolutely, uh, and I am a strong supporter of that legislation because I think it's a step in in the right direction. Uh, 
yeah, there is definitely an increase uh, in efforts to, to raise money because of Citizen United cases, case that you don't know what's going to be thrown at you at the last minute with, from some outside group. And that's something we you know, have to be prepared for. Uh, the other thing I want to me- mention also is uh, I'm on the phone uh, quite a bit raising money, but also I uh, have a um, uh, you know, campaign manager who does that also because I can't do that all the time myself. So I do have staff that actually uh, on the campaign side that will, will do that. Uh, but the Citizen United uh, court case has definitely uh, thrown a monkey wrench into the system, and we definitely have to do something uh, in that regard. Whether or not we're going to be able to get something passed in this con- I doubt very much in this Congress, but hopefully in next Congress, uh, when uh, we're back down there, depending on the makeup of Congress, uh, that we'll see some changes. Uh, the Republicans, uh, particularly Mitt Romney and Newt Gingrich, if you look at uh, the outside money involved in the presidential race, uh, they're getting hit uh, extremely hard. And I know this November with uh, President Obama and whoever the Republican is, there's going to be a lot of outside money, and the American people uh, will just going to have to continu- continuously uh, hit both sides of the aisle on this issue and uh, have us address it to one way or another. Arne, t- tell from your perspective, what do you think has been the impact of the Citizens United ruling, and what additional measures can we consider to push back on that? Sure. The the Citizens United decision was really just the climax in a in a series of decisions by the Roberts Court that's made it uh, virtually impossible to regulate money going into politics. So, so what you what you have is just an ever increasing flow of dollars coming in on independent spending, especially. And and now with Citizens United, you have the Supreme Court uh, rolling back the law for the last hundred years and saying that corporations can tap their profits directly to spend on on campaigns. They can't still can't give to members directly, although uh, that is probably going to change in the next year. Unfortunately, there are a number of cases working their way up challenging that, but but they can spend as much as they want independently. So the the I think the problem we currently face is we either need uh, some changes on the Supreme Court or we're going to need a constitutional amendment, which is why the uh, Common Cause and a number of other groups are now uh, backing a constitutional amendment to make it clear that corporations are not the same as people, uh, and that uh, it's Congress has the ability to limit spending. Mm-hmm. And the other thing, thing, thing I think the what's going to happen is you're going to have good uh, people out there who actually might want to run for public office decide not to, primarily because of uh, what's happening and the effects of uh, the court. Uh, the corrosive money, yeah. Some, in some of the reading I've done about, um, you know, Congress and dysfunction of Congress um, in a more mundane way, talks about a return to regular order, you know, where um, legislation kind of gets railroaded through on a short track. There aren't really open hearings. There aren't really markups in committee. Um, there's not an actual debate in terms of, you know, the back and forth, the pros and cons on the bills. Um, that re- amendments aren't heard or debated on the floor. Um, what 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 do people mean when they talk about the return to regular order, Congressman Mishu? And I mean, do you, do you feel that we've lost uh, the regular order of deliberation in the House? Yeah, pr- primarily what it means is that uh, you know when you go through the process, normally a bill will go through a subcommittee, then the full committee. We 
have an opportunity to offer amendments. Uh, then when it gets uh, to the floor, it has to go to the Rules Committee, and the Rules Committee will determine what uh, amendments we're going to vote on. And uh, I think uh, there, you know, whoever is the party in control can shut down any amendments. So therefore, uh, you know, we will not be able to do anything on the floor as far as if we have a particular problem with, with a certain bill uh, to make uh, changes in it. Uh, and that's uh, one of the things we've been pushing is to try to get back to regular order so that the rank-and-file members will be able to have an opportunity uh, to offer uh, amendments. Um, and... Uh, it's a little bit better than what it has been, uh, at least when we initially started this session, uh, but it's still a long ways uh, to go. And, and it can make a difference. A good example is uh, uh, my amendment to that was uh, a bill that we voted on last year that would have slashed uh, Economic Development Administration uh, funding by $80 million. I offered an amendment that restored the funding, found the cuts uh, some other place, and uh, it passed overwhelmingly. So uh, uh, there, that was done because I was able to get my amendment through the Rules Committee. Mm. And I think that's where the process should be, similar to the main legislature, uh, yep. you know, where they're allowed to offer amendments uh, to bills. Let me remind you again, you're listening to the Democracy Forum on WERU. Our guests today are uh, the Honorable Mike Mishu, 2nd District Congressman from Maine, and Arne Pearson, Vice President of Programs at Common Cause. We'd enjoy to have your call. You can call toll-free at 866-625-9378 or locally at 469-0500. We do have a caller on the line. Go ahead, give us your name, let us know where you live, and um, pose your question or comment. You're on the air. Yeah, hi, my name is Frank Donnelly. I live in Lemoyne. Um, I want to echo the uh, let's get the money out of politics thing, but I also kind of disappointed in Mr. Mishu's answer to Yo's question. He just kind of passed it off on what bill it was. I'm sure he doesn't, you don't need to remember the number, but the contents of that bill is fairly important. And when he said, that he, a lot of times you don't have time to read the bill, you vote on them. Well, let me tell you, when I go to the election booth, if I don't understand something on the ballot, I don't know who any of the people are, I don't vote for it. I couldn't imagine that you would vote for something you hadn't even read. Why bother? I mean, just don't vote on it. I just, I just don't understand that. I'm just, I've always voted for uh, Mr. Michoud and have talked to him a couple of times, my vets for peace group. I just don't understand that answer. Well, thanks I'll, for your I'll, comment. I'll listen, I'll listen to him off air. Yeah, thanks for your comment, Frank. Go ahead, Representative Mishu. Yeah, well, I, I'm not sure exactly. Rather than give him an answer on why I voted for that particular uh, bill, I'm not sure exactly one, what he's talking about. So instead of me giving him an answer, uh, I'd like to know specifically what is the issue that, uh, uh, that he raised. Uh, I don't know if you, you know the bill itself, Arn, or... I think he was giving you a chance to embellish your response and support for um, uh, on the question of the Fair Elections Now Act and getting the money out of politics. Oh, yeah. I, I think uh, definitely we have to get money out of politics. I've been very supportive of that. Uh, I'm on the, uh, uh, the bill that would actually set up a clean election uh, type of uh, uh, funding. Uh, there is definitely too much uh, money in politics, and it's on both sides. Uh, as well, uh, and and money uh, unfortunately drives the system down there. And then and, I think that uh, caller was also referring to we had talked about a return to regular order, and sometimes people have to vote on bills that they haven't read, 
And I, I don't know if you picked up on something that you'd said. Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, uh, if you look at all the bills out there, uh, you know, I do myself and my staff uh, read the bills. The problem, as mentioned earlier, is sometimes we have to vote on a, a particular bill without knowing, though we read it, what the implications are for people here in Maine. Mm -hmm. And I was, as I mentioned, got criticized from the left wing for not uh, getting out there and saying I support uh, the health care bill, primarily because uh, I was still working with individuals here in Maine to find out what effect that bill would have on the services they provide uh, their constituency. And I think that is extremely important uh, that we're able to find out uh, uh, the effect that those bills have on the constituency. But on on some areas, as I mentioned, uh, and both sides have done this in the past, is they will combine uh, two separate bills uh, together or more than two, and they'll uh, uh, force us to vote on where we might agree with a certain portion of it but not agree with the other portion. And we might have to vote uh, in some cases, uh, uh, you know, I might vote for a particular bill knowing that once it gets to the conference committee, that that section will be taken out because there's no way the Senate will, will go we'll along go with it. it. We've so, got another caller on the line. Um, go ahead, give us your name, tell us where you live, and go ahead with your question or comment. You're on the air. Good morning. My name is Diane, and I reside in the town of Liberty. And I think I can offer some clarification on the bill that was um, brought up just a moment ago. Yo initially called in, and another person had a follow-up uh, comment of dissatisfaction, unfortunately. Um, I believe it is H.R. 347. It's referred to commonly as the anti-protest law or the anti-occupy law, but the actual title of it is something very innocuous and misleading. It's called the Federal Restricted Buildings and Grounds Improvement Act of 2011. And as I understand it by some legal analysis I've read, it is supposedly largely a compilation of some other um, bills, um, uh, rather uh, statutes already in um, uh, existence, but it does offer uh, or per, um, call for rather some rather uh, dangerous um, uh, additions, such as elevating to a felony something that was previously uh, treated as a misdemeanor, and it also expands the uh, area of exclusion, meaning where you cannot protest and cannot be almost to a uh, movable uh, issue wherever they. Uh, determine or designate is a prohibited area. So, Diane, did you have a question? For yes, I wa- wanted uh, to follow up on the original question of, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, asking for uh, Congressman Mishu's comments on his position on that and why he did vote in favor of it. Thank you, Diane. Go ahead, Representative Mishu. Uh, I believe, if I remember uh, uh, correctly, only four members actually, uh, this one here actually was a uh, Thanks for uh, jogging my memory. I think only four members actually voted against this bill because it was a technical change bill. Unfortunately, there's a lot of misinformation out there uh, uh, on the Internet about this bill. Uh, I think uh, basically what it does is it takes the security rules that have already applied when the the president or vice president are traveling and apply them to... uh, to the White House and Naval Observatory grounds. Uh, when I checked uh, with the committee, uh, it doesn't affect anyone's right to protest anywhere at any time or in any way. Uh, you know, if you can uh, protest uh, there now, you can uh, continue to protest there uh, 
under the law, there's no changes whatsoever uh, under this one uh, particular bill. And here is a problem when you look at, for instance, uh, individuals, uh, and as mentioned earlier, there is a lot of misinformation out there. Sometimes they take talking points from whatever groups on one way or the other. Uh, but uh, but this bill, uh, it will not affect you one way or, or another. It just applies to uh, uh, when the president or vice president is traveling, and it applies to the White House and the Naval Observatory uh, grounds. So if you can protest there now, uh, you'll be able to protest uh, under uh, the existing law. And here again, there are only uh, four members of Congress uh, that actually voted against the legislation. Uh, but th- th- I mean, I'm glad. To think I'd like to thank the last caller for, uh, for uh, bring, bringing that up yeah. and uh, and uh, and bringing that title up. Sometimes when you talk about these things. Uh, without clear explanation, that it's very difficult. And to give you a good example of sometimes what you see on blogs that are not true, uh, actually um, it was out there that I supported the Roy Blunt Amendment when you deal with contraception, which is totally true. I'm opposed to it uh, and adamantly opposed to it, and, but it was out there that I supported it. So uh, well, we haven't even taken a vote on it. So Well, thank you. I'm glad we had a chance to clarify that. I think I'll try to bring us back to the conversation on um, dysfunction in Congress and um, turn it to a final round of questions because we're starting to run out of time here. But Arne, what do you think are, if we haven't already covered it, what do you think are the specific reforms needed to fix Congress in Washington to restore public public confidence in Congress? And do you think that Congress has the ability or the will to correct itself? Well, I think we've covered the big ones, but it's it's worth worth going over again. Um, and, and it's you know it's a combination of both making Congress function uh, internally, but also the, uh, dealing with the the money influence. So there are rules. I'm sure there are rule changes. And uh, Representative Misho has talked about a number of things that make a lot of sense. And there's a there's a new group out there called No Labels that is uh, pushing for a number of procedural reforms, uh, including nonpartisan seating and <laughs> things like that. Um, and, you know, so, and getting rid of the filibuster is one of the biggest ones in that, in that realm. It's not actually just getting rid of it altogether. It's okay to have extended debate, but there needs to be a way to get to a majority vote. You can't have a minority uh, preventing a vote on key issues facing the country. And then I think the other, the biggest, the other big ones are in dealing with the money in politics, the Fair Elections Now Act to give uh, people a different way to run for Congress. Uh, we should have pay-to-play legislation so that lobbyists can't raise money for, for members. And, uh, and we need to do something about gerrymandering. We need independent redistricting commissions around the country. Uh, what about you, Representative Mishu? Let me put the same question to you. Yep. No, I agree with everything that uh, Ernst said, and uh, I'm on uh, part of the uh, no-labels group requires legislation. Others... Uh, Portions of it doesn't. It requires uh, uh, legislative changes uh, or, or rule changes versus law. And I'm on uh, actually for no budget, no pay bill. I'm on that piece of legislation. Uh, so if we do not pass a budget when uh, October 1st comes, then members of Congress will not get paid until we do pass a budget. And it doesn't. And when we finally do pass a budget, it doesn't go back and pay retroactively. You know, we lose. Uh, uh, you know that salary. 
there is a lot of suggestions out there uh, that uh, that no labels have put forward, and uh, I read the report and we'll be meeting with them, uh, I believe, next week. Do you uh, think Congress has so. the ability to enact some of these things itself, Representative? I think uh, hopefully uh, they will. Uh, I sent a letter to the Speaker, uh, encouraged them to bring up uh, the no budget, no pay, uh, if it's brought up on the floor, I, I feel comfortably that we should be able to get it passed. Uh, but here again, that's where I think the American people got to call their members of Congress and really push them to make these specific changes. Uh, you know, it's easy to say, well, you guys get along down there, but uh, it's easier said than done. Uh, if you have a specific change that uh, we can... Uh, uh, put the focus on, I think that really helps out. And uh, the No Budget, No Label uh, group has made um, uh, several recommendations uh, with input uh, from members of Congress, uh, uh, and I think they're they're good ideas. And hopefully, we'll be able to get some of them uh, put through. But we got to be but we got to be in session in order to do it. Versus uh, uh, you know taking breaks all the time. Yeah, I see what you're saying. We're starting to run out of time here, so I'll give you each a chance to make any. Parting comments, Arn, to you first, and we'll give Representative Misha the last word. Sure. I, I do think it's going to take uh, an uprising of folks in order to make a number of these changes happening happen. And you're starting to see a populist movement growing in the country. Uh, I think no labels is part of it. The constitutional amendment uh, campaigns that are springing up around the country, there are now 13 bills in Congress and, and many, many groups uh, on board with that. Uh, is part of it. And, and it's going to take, I, I think it's going to take people rising up and demanding that, uh, that Congress work for the public interests and not for special interests. Just a few m- more minutes, Representative Mishu. A couple quick parting thoughts. Yep. No, no, I agree once again what Ern had said. And, and I want to thank all, all the callers uh, uh, for calling in. But also, uh, you know, I apologize to the first caller that uh, talked about HR 340. Uh, seven. Here's a prime example where, uh, you know, once we have a chance to find out exactly uh, what the issue is, I think we're a- better able to, uh, you know, to address it. Uh, and it's not only on, on, on this bill, but on other legislation as well. Uh, unfortunately, you have blogs out there on both sides that uh, in order to ramp up their base, they're putting out uh, information that's, uh, mm-hmm. that's not correct. Yep. And I think it's important that... Uh, individuals really, you know, dig deep and find out exactly what are the ramifications and, yep. uh, and, and move forward in that regard. Our responsibilities as citizens to get involved. So we are out of time. Thank you to our guests this morning. Thank Maine's you. second district congressman, the Honorable Mike Mishu, thank you for being with us. And Arne Pearson, vice president of programs at Common Cause. Thank you, Arne. You've been listening to the Democracy Forum, a project of the League of Women Voters Down East produced in cooperation with WERU-FM. Thank you to Amy Brown, our engineer at WERU this morning. Thank you to our listeners. If you have a suggestion for a topic or guests on a future democracy forum or to join the League of Women Voters, email us at lwvme at gwi.net or call the League of Women Voters at 622-0256. Thank you all very much for listening. We'll see you next month.
This is WERU News and Public Affairs Manager Amy Brown inviting you.